Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Private Wealth Team at Safi Chambers. My name is Leonora Stevens and I'm a director in the Private Wealth Team based in Bristol. I'm delighted to be joined virtually today by Margie Campbell, a partner in our Inverness office. Hello, Margie. Hello. <laughs> today, Margie and I will be discussing all matters Scottish. On the 9th of December, the Scottish budget was published, so we'll be looking at what was covered in the budget that may be relevant to our clients who are Scottish residents. And following on from that, we'll be discussing a few topical issues when it comes to looking at being deemed a Scottish resident and how the pandemic may have impacted that. So first things first, Margie, was it an interesting budget and were there any useful nuggets for our clients? Well, I always think of budgets as interesting, but in reality, there probably wasn't a huge amount of changes. Um, The income tax rates that we pay in Scotland remained unchanged. There were movements to the starter and basic rate bans. So um, the bans in Scotland are a little um, peculiar. As you'll probably know, we have a 19% the starter rate. We have a 20%, which is basic, and 21 for intermediate before we go into a 41 higher and a 46 top rate. So there's a few more bans and they're all in, um, they go up by CPI. So they're peculiar numbers, they're not nice round numbers. So for example, the starter rate is £2,162 of income. And so, you know, so there were CPI movements on that, but that was about it. Uh, Land and buildings transaction tax, which is the Scottish equivalent of stamp duty land tax, remained pretty much unchanged. And our first time buyer relief, which exempts up to £175,000, also remains unchanged. And there were small changes to landfill tax, which is pretty niche. And the business rates reliefs that were there continue on as they were. So nothing particularly startling, just slight tweaks for inflation in essence. Okay, so I suppose a bit like our budget where we get a bit excited beforehand and then nothing really happens. Um, but I, I suppose looking at from a sort of bigger picture aspect, what, what taxes can the Scottish government actually change? Well, they have power to change income tax rates. They can't change the personal allowance. Uh, so whatever that is in the UK is is UK wide, regardless whether you're a Scottish taxpayer or not. So the £12,570 applies to everybody. So the, the, the rates of 19 through 46 that I just mentioned are things that the government have power over. They have no power over national insurance at all. Um, and the income tax is charged on non-savings and non-dividend income only. So if you've got bank interest and you've got dividends, that follows the UK bands of income, um, just to make life a bit more interesting. Apart from that, there's land and buildings transaction tax, which is similar but not identical to stamp duty land tax. And they have power over landfill tax and council tax and non-domestic rates. Um, air departure tax and aggregate levy are kind of works in progress and are, are still to come. But that's essentially what the Scottish government have power over. So we quite often have conversations with clients where they say, oh, I've got this. And of course, I'm a Scottish taxpayer. How does that affect my capital gains tax or my inheritance tax? The answer to that is it absolutely doesn't. Absolutely doesn't. Because that always follows the rest of the UK rates. OK, really interesting. And um, um, so there doesn't seem to have been many, much change for the private client other than the bandings. Um, but when it comes to residence, what are the residence rules? How would you deem someone to be a Scottish resident? That's an interesting one. And again, there's a slight quirk on that compared to what we class as the rest of the UK residence rules. Um, in order to be a Scottish taxpayer, first of all, you must be UK resident. If you are not a UK resident, you can never be a Scottish taxpayer. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing to bear in mind. If you are like me, 
you've been in Scotland throughout the year, you work there, you live there, your house is there, you're a Scottish resident. That's clean as can be. If you have moved to or moved from Scotland during the year, so say you move up in July or you move away in July, then you look at which part of the year is longest. Was it when you were in Scotland or when you were in the rest of the UK? We don't do a split year. So if you've been here for eight months and four months in England, you are a Scottish taxpayer for that tax year. There's no split year treatment, which tax people are very pleased with quite nasty bit of legislation um, and if you have more than one home that's the bit that gets really I was going to say exciting I'm a tax person it gets a bit exciting because what you're looking to test is where your main home is and that's not based on a day count that's based on essentially where is the hub of your life that house can be owned by you it can be rented by you it can be a house you live in for free and what the test is is you know is, is that where your base really is? Is that where your possessions are? One example is where do the antiques live? Um, which, you know, is, is peculiar. But sometimes if you have a landed estate, you know, the, the big house is in the Highlands, potentially. Um, where are your family? So are you working in London? The family are still at home in Perthshire, perhaps at, at school. Where is your bank branch? In reality, these days, that's not quite such a good test. But where, where's your bank account? Where do the statements come to? Where's your doctor? Where's your car insured? Where are you a member of the golf club? And you're looking at all of these things. So you can have a situation where you're not in Scotland very much, but you're still very much a Scottish resident because that's the test is almost where's your heart? Where do you consider home is? If you said somebody come home to ask for Christmas, where would that be? Would it be the flat in London that you spend five or six nights or would it be the house in whatever and that's the that's the real test and that's when it becomes difficult because we do that before we do a day count unless you've moved in the year so if you've had two houses throughout it's broadly the where's your heart test where's your where's your home where's your base um and it's only if you've got more than one home and you genuinely can't pick perhaps your you know your doctors in wales your dentist is in inverness your you know, the dogs in Shropshire, and you genuinely move between the three, only then do you look at day counts if you genuinely can't identify your main home. But broadly speaking, it should be where your where your base is. And and that's how you you are Scottish resident. Um, which is quite interesting. It's an interesting discussion we have with clients very often. I mean, Inverness was the second Safari office because we had a lot of clients who had, you know, were based in London but had a landed estate up here. And that's kind of historically how we how we came up to Inverness. And, you know, we have a lot of clients like that where, you know, they maybe are still working in London, but then tending coming back to the family estate and, you know, all of their possessions since they were seven are in that house because they just, you know, they live in the flat in London. So that makes it quite an interesting discussion to people say, well, where is everything you own? It's like, well, everything I've owned still remains there because I'm not taking it out. It's like, you know, that that makes it quite interesting as, as a concept because it's it's pretty subjective pretty subjective it's interesting when you were talking about where the heart is i was wondering whether the queen's advisors sit and ask her whether her heart is in balmoral and whether she has to think about her day count or not <laughs> and and working out where her possessions are will be interesting because they'll be all over as well so yeah indeed oh well that'd be an interesting one to think about but have you got sort of any examples of whether there where there's been some confusion over residency when it comes to covid and people working from home and yeah, yeah. We're, we're still to see quite a lot of the COVID ones coming through with HMRC. HMRC run all of the tax. And so the initial, are you Scottish, are you not, comes back from HMRC, not Revenue Scotland. 
And we have had a few where they have queried the residency that we've returned. Um, we get lovely letters that say, we have corrected your tax return to make you or take you out of Scottish residency. You've not corrected it, you've amended it. It's not the same thing. Um, and we, we have one client where they're, they're in the army, they're in an English base, they move around quite a lot. They don't want their tax affairs to go into the base in case it's opened or seen. So they ask HMRC to correspond with them at their parents' address. And they have been in England for years. They don't actually own a home of their own. And HMRC are adamant they're Scottish taxpayers because they're writing to them in Scotland. Um, we have got that one sorted out, but it's taken a bit of doing. And actually, in the time we were sorting it, they weren't even in the UK for some of it. They were in bases elsewhere. But because of correspondence with Scotland, they kept correcting it back to say, you must be Scottish because we write to you there. It's like, that's my parents' house, it's not mine. Um, and equally, we have clients where, for peculiar reasons, HMRC write to them at our London address, at the Safri's London address. And so they corrected them from being a Scottish taxpayer to living in our office, which is obviously not correct. Um, so, you know, there, there are peculiarities like that. And we, where you get that into that discussion with HMRC, it tends to take a bit of unravelling because they just say, but we write to you there. And said, that's not the test. That's not the test. The test, you know, it's, it's much more nuanced than that. But in practice, we quite often end up giving them day counts, which is not how the legislation is written, which is, is quite an interesting one. Um, interestingly, one of the things that the client that we have where they're based in England, they, they get compensated if they are Scottish taxpayers, if they work in the army. They, you know, they, they kind of gross it up and, and work it out because Scottish taxpayers generally pay a little bit more tax than you do in the rest of the UK. So, so when, for example, if you had a Joe Bloggs who had a Scottish address and just simply had, so say they lived in London, they moved to Scotland, and they, um, they may their main home still may have been down here, but they had a Scottish address. Would would their sort of POI code automatically be updated for the S for Scotland? Not automatically, but quite possibly. I think would be the best way to describe that. Um, in that, my this is my brother lives in Liverpool now. He spent a very long time, even although he'd updated his address, getting rid of his Scottish coding. And, you know, it, it doesn't always follow. Payway codes are pretty good, but don't always follow exactly the information, as you know, as timiously as we would like. And so, so yeah, you know, there is quite a bit of correcting of these these that goes on. Um, okay. Well, that's very interesting. And and so sort of, have you so finally what, what are the implications of being tax resident and how is the tax collected? And you are there any more quirks uh, when it comes to the level of tax people pay? I mean, I know obviously in in England, if you've got someone who's earning sort of between 100 and 120,000 pounds, you've got the issue of they're, they're taxed at the really high marginal rates because they use their personnel. Are there any other things like that? with the Scottish tax bandings that people could be aware of. I mean, it sounds very complicated. It is. It's great. We love it. Um, (laughs) Going back to basics, it's collected exactly as any other tax. So if you are purely employed, it's collected as payroll taxes. You'll notice if you're a Scottish taxpayer, you've got a little S at the end of your notice of coding, and that just denotes that you're a Scottish taxpayer. All the tax goes in and out of HM Revenue and Customs and then gets repatriated north, an element of it goes north. Um, so that's a calculation done behind the scenes and everything just goes in and out of HMRC. So equally, if you're doing a tax turn, you do a tax turn to HMRC as everybody does and they figure it out. Um, 
the the quirks are really around the the dividend and interest element that we spoke about as well as the the number of bands so um the scottish taxpayer goes into higher rate tax at 43 just over 43 and a half thousand pound of income rather than the 50 odd um i say 50 odd because there's so many rates in our heads we now have to google them every time um because our rates are you know there's there's differentials there but what happens if you are paying national insurances you go into higher rate tax in scotland in 22 23 at 43,662 but you don't get to the bit for national insurance where they say well you're paying higher rate tax so your national insurance rate can come down so you have this horrible scenario for about six and a half thousand pounds where you're paying 41 percent scottish income tax plus the 12% national insurance, if we exclude the health and social care levy. Um, so you're actually paying at 53% on that £6,000 before then dropping, so it becomes 41 and 2. So there's a, a nasty little sting in there for people. Um, and then the, the, the principle applies where you pass the 100000 you start losing your personal allowance. It's more expensive for a Scottish taxpayer because we're sitting at 21, 41 instead of 20 and 40 that you're losing. And we looked at it as a marginal rate saying where you're losing, you're essentially paying at 50, 60 in there. Ours are just a percent or two different. So it's just it's just a little bit more expensive. It's just a little bit more expensive to live in the land of milk and honey. Um, so, you know, when we do calculations, because you drop in and out of these tax bands, there are 22 different combinations of rates when you factor in the national insurance. I haven't done it with the health and social care levy because my brain just, I'm past that. But because we have three in the bit where a, a rest of the UK taxpayer would be basic rates. So there's one rate but it mixes in with the national insurance in the same way. We go into higher rate before the rest of the UK does, but we're still paying a different rate of national insurance and it drops again. So it becomes really convoluted. And there are examples where if, for example, you're paid £45,000 through your work, you're going to be a Scottish higher rate taxpayer because you've breached the 43000 If you've then got three or 4000 of dividend income to tax, you're not higher rate for the rest of the UK. So you've gone into higher rate for Scotland, you drop back out of it and you pay a basic rate on your dividend. That's really nerdy for us preparing tax returns. As you know, the man on the street doesn't do that as a long-handed calculation. We're almost at the stage that we can't because this is jumping in and out all the time. And we will do a long-handed calculation, but we will always run it through the system because we just think there's bound to be a band in there that we haven't quite got right. So you could be into higher rate, out of higher rate again. If you had 10,000 of dividends, you'd be in it, then out of it, then in it again. And so that just, just makes it really interesting. When the rates first changed and the, the starter, intermediate and top rates came in for Scotland, we call it a top, not an additional, just to be a bit different. Um, but when they first came in, the software really didn't cope with it at all. And there are certain exclusions for for personal tax where the tax return won't go online. There were about 95 for Scottish taxpayers because they just couldn't cope with the peculiarities of these things. It's getting better all the time, but there are quite a few where we have to write to HMRC and say, I know the tax return says this, it's not right, but this is the exclusion form and it's because they've got this combination that your system simply can't deal with. So that it created a huge amount of work for the team maybe two, three years ago just now. There was a massive amount of work 
doing these exclusions. They're far fewer now. We're just about there, I think, because over the years it, it's, it's developed. And interestingly, the software providers could make it work, but it couldn't fit into the treasury systems. So, it, you know, they could make the software tell the right number, but it would be rejected at the other end. So they had to had to create a tax return that said this is a wrong number. And, and we would literally get a wee note saying, we know this is wrong. You've got to send them a letter. Oh, interesting. Well, I suppose that's also a, a, a key point for, for clients is that they need to engage the services of Safaris or another reputable firm uh, to assist them with their tax returns because it's very complicated if they are Scottish resident and they have other income other than yeah. the PAYE. Absolutely. And that makes, we do a lot of planning for clients, as you know, how you take your, your cash out of your company and these kind of things. It, you know, that planning is even more important for a Scottish taxpayer. Brilliant. Oh, well, it remains me. It remains for me to thank Margie for joining me today, which has been a really interesting discussion. Um, we work with a wide range of clients. Um, many are UK-based and many live overseas, but have interests here, whether that's property, business interests or investments. We advise individuals and families on how best to safeguard, maintain and enhance their wealth and on the most appropriate methods of passing on that wealth to the next generation. We also help people comply with the tax rules in the UK, which can be complex. If you would like to find out more about Safri Chapman's and how we can help you, please head over to the Safri Chapman's website at www.safri.com. However, it's important for me to stress that if you're considering any of the topics discussed today, you must always take professional advice based on your individual circumstances. Thank you for listening.